Hi, welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We're very glad you're joining us today and we hope this message inspires you, builds your faith and encourages you in the things of God. Enjoy the message. So for anyone who doesn't know me, my name is Aoife Doyle. That is my husband, Danny Doyle, down the back. He's holding our new little baby. He's six months. That's Joshua. And, um, and we're young adult leaders here in the church. Um, but that's not how it always has been. So this is my story. Um, I grew up in a Christian home and my parents always loved the Lord and really led me in the ways of the Lord and we went to church every Sunday, you know, we did everything that Christians do and I always believed in God from a very young age. Um, But when I was um, kind of like 10, 11, I was cripplingly shy. My mom used to always ask me to go to um, the youth groups and, you know, Stan Beamish's summer camps and all these things that would go on, but I refused to go to any of them because I was just always just so lonely. You know, I actually didn't have any Christian friends. There wasn't a lot of people my age in the church we were attending at that time. And it was a lovely church. I just, I was very lonely. Um, So because of that, um, my main friendship group was from school. So they were not Christians. You know, it was, um, it was secular. And, you know, for me, like friends are so important. Um, My friendship group had such an influence over my life. And, and I think um, it's just, friends have so much uh, influence over all children's lives I think and I always just you know I'm very active I'm I just love meeting up with friends I'm a very sociable person so to me my friends are everything so um you know as we read in first Corinthians 15 verse 33 it says a bad company corrupts good character and eventually as I moved into secondary school I'd go to church on a Sunday with my parents and, you know, and I'd say all the right things and do all the right things on the outside, you know, but, but the inside of the cup wasn't clean. You know, I would go to school and then I would carry on as the world would carry on. And then as I grew up, kind of um, 16, 17, um, after a while, I, I got a job and I was working, you know, part time at the weekend. So then I stopped going to church on Sundays and, um, And I was just living how the world was living, you know, living with no hope, living literally for the weekend, going to all the parties, you know, going drinking with my friends, literally just doing everything that the world does. And I honestly, I didn't care about church anymore. And I still believed in God in a distant sense. But you know what? I had no understanding of who he was, you know, what the Lord did for me. I had no understanding of actually my sin. I just grew up, you know, in in church. But, you know, I love that... um, analogy that often you hear people say just because you're standing in McDonald's doesn't make you a burger you know it's just because you're in church as a tight child does not mean that you are born again of the spirit you know there's no um second generation children of God there's only his children you know and um so I carried on that path. I was kind of 16, 17, 18, you know, 19. And I had an aunt um, and she was always inviting me to church. And I'd be like, go away, I don't want to go, you know. And she would always be pestering me. And eventually I took her up on this offer and she brought me here. It was in the old building. Um, it was called Donnybrook at the time. And I went and I was like, wow, I was like, this is, you know, so different. Because um, at that stage, I, I really did have an understanding as like my life wasn't going anywhere. I had no hope. I had seen everything and experienced everything that the world had to offer. And I could see it was just empty. You know, I was really, you know, like now I see it was the Lord bringing me to that point. And when she invited me, I just got such a, a peace when I came in. I remember um, 
It was a Sunday morning, and afterwards, Kira Linsky, um, if she's here listening, she invited me to Young Adults, and I was like, oh yeah, okay, whatever, I'll go to Young Adults, and I had no intention of going, and then later on, she had gotten my number somehow, and she texted me saying, hey, I hope to see you there, so I went, and it was amazing, there was people my own age, I remember it was a night on the beach, and they were wor- doing worship with guitars around a fire, And I was like, this is amazing. I was like, they have something that I don't have. I've never seen this in people my own age. I was like, my age just live for the weekend as I had been doing. I was like, but they have such hope. They have such life. And I was like, I remember I was sitting a couple of meters back and just kind of watching from the sidelines. And I was like, I wish I could be part of that. And eventually I kept going to Young Adults because I was working um, in Halfords at the time. So I was to work every Sunday morning, but my dad would come and collect me and drop me into Young Adults so I'd be there in time. And just eventually the Lord was just bringing me back to him. And, you know, and I love that verse, just to give parents hope here. It's, um, you know, the verse in um, <clears throat> Proverbs, verse 22, verse 6. And it says, teach your way in the child that they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. And you know what? God is faithful and he answered his promise because he brought me back to him. And it's just even to say now I have such hope. You know, I love that first ministries are the first worship song we sang it was dead but alive now in Christ it once dead and now alive that is my testimony you know and it's the Lord just blessed me and met me through fellowship with people of like-minded in young adults and that's why I just love going in every Sunday you know and helping him my husband does because it's so important you know no one is an island our friendship groups are so important my friendship group was so important and praise God now that my main group of friends are Christians we iron sharpens iron we worship the Lord together I have such hope and you know and as I'm a parent now I'm a new parent I'm still learning you know um but my prayer for my son Joshua is just that we would teach him um as he's a young child but I pray that he won't stray from it I pray that the Lord will keep him all through his life and that he will always find you know his first love with the Lord that he won't have to that he'll be so overwhelmed with the love and grace of God that he won't go searching in the school place in the world you know that he'll be a testimony amongst his um other children in school but that he wouldn't stray and you know and it's even for me just as a parent to dedicate myself to you know I want to drop him to kids on a Friday. I want to take that extra hour out. I want to bring him into youth. You know, it's such a small, um, even sacrifice as a parent, but you know, I see the value because I, I didn't have groups to go to when I was younger. And then when I did have the opportunity, I wouldn't go because I had no friends to go with, you know, and it's, and really, I think that's what shapes a teenager's path is so crucial. And then into young adulthood, when you're figuring it out, when you're in college, when you're navigating the world, when you're picking your career, just to come in the house of the Lord with people of your own age and fellowship. It's so important. And that gives me hope every single day because the Lord met me there and he just allowed me to grow in him there. And it's where I met my husband. You know, it's, it's just the Lord. And I thank him because every morning I get up knowing where I have come from, I was without hope. I was so destitute, you know, in the world. But now I have everything in Christ. And I praise God every single day. And I just hope that encourages someone, you know, go get connected, get plugged into a church, you know, because the Lord will meet you there. Thank you, church. Good morning, church. Finally can take this off. But um, I hope you're all doing well this morning. Um, for those that don't know, my name is Nick, Nick Cassidy. I'm uh, one of the pastor's sons. Um, 
also known as the, as one of the black sheep of the family. Um, but uh, yeah, Patrick asked me there the other week would I share my testimony, and uh, it, it took me a while to get it back to him because like uh, I don't want to. Um, but the, the truth of it is, we have something that so many people don't know, and I can't hold myself back and not share that story when given the opportunity to do so. Um, so this is my story. Um, I grew up in a Christian home um, with loving parents, um, three annoying brothers, um, and uh, dragged to every service under the sun that you, that you could think of. Um, and I was involved in, in youth ministry and, and a worship team and um, really involved throughout my teenage uh, hood as well uh, in, in the church. But um, I never really walked with God. I never really knew him, never really understood him. I just went through the motions of just going to church and just playing my part. Um, until, I suppose, I just finished uh, high school or uh, secondary school. Um, I got a job. Um, and things started to change. I, I started hanging out with the wrong people. Um, started getting into uh, things I shouldn't be doing. Um, you know, the whole party lifestyle, the whole drugs. And, you know, um, and it was within a matter of months, the world had literally swallowed me up. Um, everything that I once stood for was, was, was washed away. Um, but... No matter how far I tried to run for God, I couldn't run for him. And like, like Jonah, I was, I was trying to flee God because I had the conviction of God everywhere I went. Uh, no matter what I'd done, um, there would always be that conviction. I, and I'd, I'd have arguments with God and saying, I don't want this. I don't want this conviction. Um, and it led me to a, to a really dark place uh, where I really wanted nothing to do with God. Um, but... Every time God would chase me, where I'd be getting, hanging out with my friends and we'd be drinking, getting drunk, someone would bring up the thing, weren't you a born again Christian? I'd be like, yeah, what does that mean? And I'm going, like, this is like three o'clock in the morning and going, and all of a sudden I would just sober up. And it, again, this conviction would come upon me and going, well, that was a waste of the last four or five hours with my friends. You know, now I have this conviction. I mean, now my friends actually want to know uh, about what, it, what I believed in, you know, and um, Things started rapidly go downhill, you know, the more I, run from, I ran from God. And I remember it was a Friday night, we had, there, was, there was a house party. And from about 11 o'clock that morning till about 1 o'clock in the morning, um, I was just drinking and drinking and drinking. And to the point that I actually drank myself sober. And I've heard that story a few times from people and it doesn't actually make sense. And I believe it's something supernatural that God had done in that moment. But I drank myself to a sober state uh, that like no matter what I'd done, I couldn't actually get to the level of my friends where I wasn't enjoying myself. And, and, um, and I was just like, this sucks, you know? And I went home, I woke up the next morning and um, at, this, at this stage of my life, I, I was, I was dabbing, in, dabbing into, into the drug scene and stuff. And um, I said, well, last night sucks, so I'm going to make up and I'm going to have, uh, I'm going I'm to do some, do some drugs. So I went down and I bought some. And um, I remember I was in town and, and, I, and I, 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 I took the stuff and I remember walking and I, I said, I'd take a bit more than usual to try to make up for last night. And I remember walking and I, can, I remember as I'm walking through town after taking this substance, I could feel my heart starting to race and starting to pound. I knew my heart was going up. Um, my eyes started to go tunnel vision. Everything started to get dark. I started to get cold sweats. And um, I knew I was not in a good place at all. I knew something was happening to my body that it shouldn't be. Um, and I knew that I was coming to a place where it's possibly life or death here. Um, and I was still running from God at this moment. And 
and, 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 walk, and walking up through the city streets um, and, and going, okay, I have two options here now. Um, I can call out to someone in the street to call for an ambulance or I can call out to God and ask him to show compassion and mercy and to touch my life now. And for about five or ten minutes of walking and I'm struggling with this because I know that if I turn to God and he does something, well, I'm going to have to live for him. I can't just, I can't just take his mercy and, and go back to the lifestyle I had. I know that something will happen, um, and I was trusting. And, and I knew in my heart, I knew, I knew with my faith that, that God could do it, right? But I'm having this, I'm having this arguing because I'm so tied into the world that has literally rooted me down, has strangled me. Um, and I'm walking, and I'm having this conversation with myself. And I said, you know what, now? I said, even if I call an ambulance, who knows if I'm going to make it, right? And I'm in this position now, and going, you know, I, I don't know where, where I'm going in life. I don't know if I'm going to heaven or hell. You know, I've run so far from God, and, 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 and I've thrown dirt in his face. And I said, I need to call out to God. I need to call to Savior, because I know he's real. Like, I've seen it from the testimonies of people in the church growing up. I've seen it in the lives of my parents. I've seen it in the pastors and leaders serving in the church and I've seen other people's testimonies the reality of God and what he can do in someone's life was real to others but it was never really real to myself and so in that moment I cried out to God and I said God I know you're real but I never knew you you know and I need you to come and touch my life now and show your sovereignty and your power and your mercy and change my life and I remember this conviction came over me and this, this overwhelming um, kind of feeling that was kind of telling me, not, not like in my head or anything, but it was like a kind of conviction. It was telling me in my heart just to keep walking. And I'm just walking and I'm walking and walking and I'm praying. And I think, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to turn my back on you. And I'm just walking and walking. I don't know why I keep walking, but I know it's a spirit of God in me telling me to keep walking. And I'm walking, and what I, people probably think I'm a madman walking through the street, because here I am praying, calling out to God. I'm, I, I look like a total mess, and I'm walking, and walking. And then all of a sudden, um, there comes a space, there's a little, uh, like a little um, sideway lane into someone's back garden with a gate, and uh, the spirit told me, just go in here and kneel down in a public place in Cork City at about 6 o'clock at night, and I think it was October. And um, so I kneel down, and, and I'm, I'm literally crying, and I'm, I'm, I'm praying out to God, saying, God, I'm so sorry. And in that moment uh, where I should be feeling this high for quite a while, this space of time is maybe about 25 minutes, um, the feeling was like a supernatural fire burning from my head right down to my feet. I can't explain anything. It was like I'd been burnt alive without the pain. And I knew God was doing something. And in about 10 minutes of sitting in that little laneway, it was gone. Completely gone. And I knew God touched my life that night. And things never were the same again. Um, I remember a few days later, I quit my job. And I said, look, God, I've, I've given away so much to this world for the last few years. I'm, I'm going to give back to you. Not expecting God's favor or anything, but I just wanted to serve God. And I saw I, I, I volunteered with the church for a year. And I remember sharing this testimony with my friends, my worldly friends at the time. And um, I brought him into church the next morning. I said, because you have to come in. This is the day after you. You have to come in, meet me at church. And they all came into church outside and, and tell my story. And they're like, is that it? I'm going, you don't understand. 
you know, you don't understand, you know, and they're like, okay, and they walk away as if, like, it meant nothing to them, you know, and these are friends I, I valued, and, but I saw, the, I saw the reality that my perspective is, is, has now completely changed to what the world is, because they don't see the way we see, where we have the, the word of God, and we, and we, and we walk um, with Christ, you know, and, um, but I remember one of them turned and looked at me, and said, you were you sure you weren't tripping, you weren't imaginating, you know, and that, that, that um, played a part, right? And I was battling with that for a few weeks during my internship in the church. And I remember my, my friend, um, Ruth, she's living in Florida now with Fiat. I share my testimony. And she's like, where were you walking? Which I thought was a really random question to ask. And I, sh- I told her what the path I was walking. And she goes, do you know the name of the road that you knelt down on? I was like, no. It's called Redemption Road. <laughs> you know? And I knew, and I knew in all my heart that it was... God had touched my life. It wasn't the drugs that was making me trip or hallucinate. It was the grace and mercy of God that touched my life that night. And um, God, since he's blessed me with a wonderful family, I got two wonderful boys, a beautiful wife, um, a great job, you know. Um, and they're great, but they never brought me the satisfaction and they never will bring me the satisfaction that only Christ can bring, you know. And uh, I, I could say that my life has been, uh, has been a breeze ever since, but that's not the reality when we become Christians. You know, uh, life does get tougher, it does get hard. We do face persecution, you know, even about, uh, I know I'm probably running over, but uh, about two or three years ago, I almost had a mental breakdown through stress of life and work and everything. And, and um, my doctor's really concerned that you have to quit your job, you have to do something else. And I had no one else to lean on, but I knew the mercy of God. I knew God, and I knew God was carrying me. And the only thing I could do was lean on him because I knew no one else could do it. None of the finances in the world would have solved this. None of the doctors, because they couldn't do anything for me, do I just quit your job and go, I can't quit my job. Where am I going to go to? I was, looking, I was even looking for a, a trade in, 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 a, as an electrician at the age of like 20, 29. I was like, you know, but I said, I just trust God, I, you know, and he brought me right through. And that was like about two years ago. And only up to about six months ago have I really kind of started coming back on. But God carried me the whole way through. But as Christians, we're never going to have an easy life, you know. And if you're listening, you know, the reality of Christ is real and he can transform your life. And he will give you eternal life and peace. But your life will never be easy, but you will have God to rest upon and he will carry you, you know. So this is my story or this is his story, you know, of the truth of God. So if you're watching this, you know, if you're here this morning, you don't know him, know him. Hallelujah, Jesus. God bless you this morning. This is a special service that we are putting on um, because we are very eager to, to present the gospel correctly to a dying world, amen, a world that... God bless you, sister. <laughs> my, uh, my, my surgeon, um, when I was in the hospital recovering, I'm still recovering, they give me have another two months recovery. I can stand for about a half an hour and I have to go home and lie down. But uh, I, I asked my surgeon, I said, you know, if my con- I, I heard that the government is going to lift the restrictions, our church can come back in December. I said, I'd like to be able to speak for a few minutes Sunday morning. And he looked at me, sort of, what's... And I said, well, if they're going to make the effort to come in Sunday morning with coronavirus and everything else, I want to make the effort and be in the house of the Lord with you. Amen. And uh, I just want to thank you for your faith. I want to thank you so much, Ms. Heaven Catherine, for the tremendous outpouring of love. That's all I can say. When I went into hospital, I could feel the prayer support. 
when I woke up after the anesthetic, the gratitude of heaven filled my heart. I could feel the love of the people. So many of you texted me, faced, uh, messaged me, and it was really, uh, can I just say, don't ever underestimate the value of sending a text, uh, a phone call, I love you, I'm for you. Even if you, at the time, you don't feel all that affection towards the person in the sense that sometimes you're just doing it out of, you, you're, you're telling me you're remembering them, but you're not full of, you know what I'm saying, uh, oomph yourself. It's amazing when you, start to, when you start to show love to people. It does really make a massive difference. And so I want to thank everybody in my church and all over the world. People have been praying and inquiring of me. And uh, my, so far, so good. I have three months recovery with my, my, my operation. But to get back to the principle this morning, we're coming around just very briefly. Government have restricted us to an hour service. So I have a very short message. And what is very important for those who are watching and those who are on a spiritual journey, we heard this morning uh, two wonderful testimonies, uh, two unrelated people, and yet the, the similarities are enormous. And uh, we want to share with you the only hope for this world. There is no hope anywhere in this world. I want to say right now, there's all the heroes have fallen. Everybody's got a question mark over them. No matter what, whether it's the president, or the World Health Organization, the United Nations, the Irish government, the American government, the, the UK government, whatever government you want to look for, nobody, I mean nobody, friends, has got the solutions. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. But we are here to tell you there is someone, his name is Jesus, amen. He is the repairer of the broken wall and the broken life. He is the, he is the beginning and the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. And he is what we present to you this morning as the only, only option for your life. There's actually a story of two men, I want to, many men in the Bible, of course, but two I want to just bring to you very briefly this morning. One is from the Old Testament of their scriptures, and the other is from the New Testament. The first man, his name was Saul. Is, is, is king Saul, actually, was the first king of Israel. He was a man, even as a young man, had the touch of God in his life. God, you know, he was anointed by God. He, had experienced, he actually had tremendous spiritual encounters with God. And yet, yet, even having a knowledge of God and even having a sense of God being there and even being used by God, you know, he didn't really, he didn't really invest very much or give it a lot of utility. In actual fact, he ended up being a very bitter, angry man, a man that was prone to murderous spirit, uh, you know, very selfish, very self-righteous, you know, you know, pretending to be holy at times by calling fasts and forcing it upon other people, and yet... A lot of the time when people do that, when you see people trying to be holier than thou, they're trying to mask their own problem. I just want to tell you that right now. A lot of holier than thou people are just masking their own internal vices because we're all the same. We're all fallen people here. But Saul, Saul was a man with the call of God in his life. And the king, first king of Israel, uh, prophesying you know, God's hand upon him. And yet, towards the end of his life, he said something very telling of himself. He said, I've played the fool and I've erred greatly. What an epitaph to put on your gravestone. Can you imagine going to a graveyard and, and, and all of a sudden coming across an inscription saying, I've played the fool, I've erred greatly. You'll find that in 1 Samuel 26, 21. It's towards the end of his life. It's not his deathbed, but it's towards the end of his life. It's telling of the man's sort of life. And I began to think of how this man, even with the knowledge of God, even with the opportunities to relate to God, even though God was trying to break into his life, even though God's call was upon him, he spent his life foolishly. And he got to a stage towards the end where he be, all the walls are closing and all his options are failing him. Like many this morning, you know, you've, you've have a knowledge of God. You, you, you won't deny there's a God. The Bible says the fool in his heart says there is no God. But Saul, 
it wasn't that he didn't believe in God. He believed in God, but he acted as if he didn't believe in God. He believed in God, but he acted as if God wasn't there. And that's probably like most of our world today. You ask most people today, I believe in God. It means nothing to believe in God, friends. It means nothing if you're going to carry on the way you lived, what you're doing, because at the end of his life, with the revelation that he had of God, he said of himself, I've been a fool with the revelation of God. It's a time for us to sober. It's a time for us to understand that the Spirit of the Lord is convicting this world today of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so Saul, you know, this man that, you know, that literally had the world at his feet. He had everything going for him. He was the king, the premier of the nation. The plan of, and, and, God, and the hand of God was upon him. Yet he lived in disobedience. He lived in licentious behavior. He did what he wanted, and when he wanted, and where he wanted to. Never heeded the voice of God. And yet, as he, as he spent all that life, and I'm telling you, today, friends, it's going to pass us, and it will never come back. It'll be gone. The Bible says, like the grass of the field, it withers and fades, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And so we have a moment today, and you have a moment, and I have a moment, to look and examine our lives. The Bible says, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith, or if you're walking in faith. That's what the Apostle Paul in the New Testament tells us. Interesting speaking, when you look at Saul, his, his name, means, the name Saul means demanding. It means always questioning. You know, and, and, and so this is the sort of man that he was. Sometimes your name does characterize a lot of your personality. I happen to think that there's a lot of prophetic names at times, you know, that there's things about our names that are given unbeknownst to our parents through the Spirit of God, and they do depict much of our characters. Some of you are blushing at the moment. Some of you are more happy. But, uh, but Saul, his name means demanding. Uh, you know, and uh, yet in his, in his demanding for himself through his life, he began to neglect the call of God in his life. You know, to, can you imagine this morning for you and me as Christians, how often us with the revelation of God, those who know the Lord, we know the call of God, the touch of God, the anointing of God. Many of us have prophesied, felt his presence, known his nearness, and yet we can act as if God hasn't spoken to us. We can act as if we haven't been even in the presence of God. And you can get to the end of your life and you can say, I've played a fool. Well, I'm here this morning to exhort you as your minister and as your friend. Don't let that be said of you, amen. Let it be said of yesterday, I played a fool. But for today, me and my house, we will serve the Lord, amen. Let it be said of you today, I've acted foolishly with the revelation of God, but not now. Now is a time to open up my heart again to the fresh power of the Holy Spirit. You've heard two people, a man and a woman today, my own son, if I even knew half what he was gotten up to, he had got a size 10 when the sun doesn't shine. But I want to tell you, God knew what he was up to, and God brought him to a place, amen? And God knows what you're up to, and God knows what I'm up to, and yet his heart is not to give you a size 10, amen? His heart is to open up his arms and bring you into a living relationship, because that's the gospel. It's the love of God that motivates us, as the Bible says. And God loves this world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, And so Saul's life ended pitifully. He ended up eventually hating everybody, angry with everybody, angry with his wife, angry with his son, angry with his daughter, angry with his son-in-law, angry with his lot in life, bitter about everything, open to fits of rage, and yet he had the world at his feet. But I want to tell you, friends, the world is not enough. The world is not enough. 
It doesn't matter what you get out of this world. It's never going to satisfy the real kernel of the issue, the real core of the man's being. And towards the end, he had dismissed the very, very overtures of God. The Bible talks about the overtures of God being like a knocking. In Revelation chapter 20, Jesus says, I'm knocking at the door. It's an overture. Will you open the door? Will you welcome me in? And of course, Saul, towards the end of that life, he is looking at back at a history of absolutely uh, spent times, the times that he had completely and totally wasted all the greatness of the, what could have been, friends. And now he had said of himself, I've played the fool. But there's another man in the New Testament, and his name also was Saul. You know, he was a religious man. This is, this is hundreds of years later. This is the time, of, the time of Jesus. He's a religious Pharisee. He's a man that effectively, you know, is, is high up in the religion, and he's a, he's a theologian, and he's passionate about his religion. And, and, and yet, even in his religious fervor, he's also a demanding type of man. He's another soul. He's always demanding, always questioning. And it's amazing with religious people, there's always a sort of anger underneath them all the time. I don't know what it is, but I very rarely meet uh, religious people that have a true compassion and love. It always seems that they're angry with everybody. It's like they're projecting their own failure upon other people and want to beat them over it. You know, and that's just my assessment of it. But Saul strikes me as that sort of a character that he's so self-righteous just like Saul of the Old Testament. Saul of the Old Testament was so self-righteous. God would tell him to do something, but no, he would say, no, that's fine. Thank you, Prophet Samuel, but I'm going to do this instead. You know, and Saul in the New Testament, the same, so, so self-righteous. You know, had all his ducks aligned, all his doctrine, all his theology laid out, and yet, yet in the midst of it all, he's just an angry man. You know, you find the very opening introduction of Saul, Saul in the New Testament, he's actually holding the coat of these young men that are stoning to death, the first Christian martyr called Stephen. And he's there and he's giving, he's giving his consent to it. And that's the sort of murderous spirit that religion brings. And yet this, this demanding, dissenting man, Saul, has an encounter with God. Has an encounter with God. Friends, everything changes when you have an encounter with God. An encounter with God is not just coming into Cork Church, friends. An encounter with God is far more, far more deeper than coming in and sitting in a red chair. An encounter with God, with God is a life-changing event that we want to tell you this morning is yours by the free gift of God today. It's yours as it was to Aoife and as it was to Nick this morning, as it is to millions of others around the world. And yet he is confronted with this Jesus Christ on, on his way, in his religious fervor, he's on his way to the city to persecute the Christian church. He's already thrown thousands of them in prison. He's killed maybe hundreds of them. He's brutalized them because he thinks that they're the wrong religion and the Jewish religion is the right religion. And on his journey, he's, he's, uh, 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 on his journey, he's arrested by the very power of God. And he's forced to make a decision whether he's going to bow the knee to Jesus Christ. But you know what? We know his story, of course. Saul of Tarsus eventually becomes Paul, the writer of most of the New Testament Bible. He converts. He gives his life to Jesus. You know, he has to swallow his pride. He has to swallow his pride and, and his whole theology. His whole outlook in life was wrong. I think that's probably one of the hardest things for all of us, isn't it? To, when we're confronted with the truth of the gospel, to maybe examine and say, I've, I've, I've been fooled all my life. I grew up in mainline religion. Yeah, my family did, and their family before them did, and their family before them did exactly the same thing. Did everything that the religious asked us. And when I was confronted with the gospel, I could find, I could hardly believe that maybe we got this wrong. You know, it was, it was so, it was like a, 
bashed with a fish across the face, it really sobered us up that maybe my view of life was wrong, but maybe my view of God was wrong, that everything that I'd rested upon was not right. And then I'm confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ like Paul in the New Testament was. And we know the story of those Christians that he, he had confessed Christ, he'd given his life at great personal cost. He was, he's, he's cast open the Jewish community. He's, from that day, he's a, he's a wanted man. He's on the run for his life. He eventually ends up being a martyr, but he also writes two-thirds of the New Testament and gives us some tremendous revelation of God. But this is what he writes of his life. In 2 Timothy, which is the last book that he wrote, he says this, he said, I've, I've fought the fight, I've run the race, and I've kept the faith. You know, the first soul... I've played a fool and I've erred greatly. And he died, friends. The first thought, he was impaled and, put, and nailed to the wall of the Philistine city. That was his end, friends. That's the end of the devil for every person. You think this is hell, hell on earth? Let me tell you, friends. Hell is not on earth. Hell is a far darker place than earth, friends. Much as we have much evil in this world and from awful things go on. But the devil is wanting to impale men and women to a lost eternity. But the second soul who changed his name to Paul... Saul, who's bitter and angry, fits of rage. And Paul, the name Paul means to pause, to restrain, to digest, to come to an end. In other words, you can imagine, he changed his name to Paul. He said, I used to be the angry one. I used to be the demanding one. Now I've paused myself. Now I'm restraining myself. Now I'm digesting something that is not from myself. And yet this man, as he gets to the end of his life, and man, he had an adventurous life, not a very long life, an adventurous life, and beaten and shipwrecked and persecuted for the gospel, but put churches all over Asia Minor, put together a word that has transformed our world today. And yet at the end of his life, he said, I have fought the fate. I've run the race. Now there is a crown. Let me quote exactly. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. For now on there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not just me, but all who crave his appearing. And what a wonderful introduction for you this morning and I. Instead of playing the fool, whatever we have left, that we would crave the very presence of God. That we would say, I have craved my flesh for my flesh all my life. Aoife talked about it. Nick talked about it. It's nothing other than the cravings of the fallen nature. The craving for sin. The craving for excitement. The craving for buzz. Not for righteousness. Not for healthy things. You know, we're naturally bent towards sin. And that's all of us. That includes your grandmother, okay? There's nobody with virtue in this world. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And we try to fill that craving with so many things. Drinking on the weekend, my friends, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my job, my money, my, my holidays away, or oh, whatever it might be, fill that void. But it's unfillable, friends. The only one that can fill that void is Jesus Christ. And that first Saul, even though that Christ was after him and, and prophets were sent to him, he had rejected it. And he got to the end of his life, and I pray this is not going to be for you. I pray this morning with all my heart who is ever listening. If you take anything from this simple service this morning, you'll take this that God loves you. He's got a plan. It doesn't need to end that way. It doesn't need to be end, end for you where you can say, my life has been a disaster. There's nothing profitable in it. But you could be like the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, who was a Saul. He changed his name, name to Paul. I've run the race. I've fought the fight. I have kept the faith. 
And I want to invite you this morning. First of all, Christian, I want to invite you. If you've been living in foolishness and selfishness, you know, this applies to you. Don't be, let it be said of you that one more day is spent stuck in that ditch of unbelieving activity in your life, that you would live wholeheartedly for the Lord. But for those of you who are on a spiritual journey, those of you who don't know that life-transforming power that we've heard this morning from these wonderful people that have shared with us, I want to invite you to consider your ways this morning. In the light of all that's going around, God is speaking to you. In the light of all the failure and everything falling apart, God has a plan for your life. He says, I stand at the door, knock of any man, any woman, any boy, any girl, hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in, and I will dine with you. And that's a promise from heaven. The apostle Paul experienced that with all his knowledge. Now, I want to tell you something in closing with Paul. Paul was a highly intelligent man, spoke several languages, was a philosopher of his own right. He was highly trained, highly gifted. He would be able to cut the mustard with any philosopher of any age and of any time, friends. And yet, he says, all that I pour, I, 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 I look at dung. He says, it's like a load of dung. There's loads of other words I could use, but it wouldn't be pretty. But we all know what dung is. Amen. It's all useless except the excellency of knowing God. And so when he bowed the knee, when he had put away all his fanciful thinking, all his eye thinking, he bowed the knee to Jesus Christ and the power of God hit him. And God wants to do the same for you. God wants to save you. God wants to give you peace. God wants to give you hope. Not, not, not a peace that the world gives. Not a hope that the world gives, but a certainty. And that's why he came into this world. We're coming into the Christmas season now, into a time where we begin to understand what the whole storyline is about. But this morning, you've heard from two people, this is my story. My prayer that it will be your story, that you would invite Jesus Christ to, be, to come into your life, that you would ask Jesus Christ to forgive you your sin, that you would bow in the end, stop making argument for yourself, start making excuses. Call out all the excuses. There's no excuses. I'm a sinner. I need God's forgiveness. I've sinned. I've trespassed greatly. I've played a fool. I've erred greatly up to this point. But it won't be my last statement. Amen. I will be able to say of my tomorrows, I am walking with God. And invite Christ into your life. And if you do that, if you in the quiet of your heart right now, whether you're at home, behind watching us on lens or here in Cork Church this morning, if you do that, this is the promise of heaven. You have an ex a spiritual exchange. The Holy Spirit of God will supernaturally come upon you. You're not going to see visions, friends, and you're not going to have lightning bolts going over your head, but there will be something that will impact your heart that will bring you on a new, in a new direction and on a new journey, and your life will never again be the same. Amen. Thanks for tuning in with us today. I hope you were blessed. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website, www.corkchurch.com. Again, thanks for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.